What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take the baseline out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, spectaculario, fantabulous co-host, Andy Bailey. We are coming at you, uh, recording this on a Sunday. You will be listening to it, hopefully, on a Monday. We're going to be ranking the, objectively ranking, I should say, the 25 best lineups in the NBA this season, using a method that... Obviously not perfect, but it uh, yielded interesting results, we thought, and I'll explain it to you in a second. But first, we just want to remind everyone, implore everyone, beg, plead with everyone to rate, subscribe, and review us on iTunes. We really do appreciate it, especially when those ratings go up. We appreciate your loyalty. We, we love all our listeners. So if you could take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day and, and just get on there and help us that way, we would massively appreciate it. Um, and also, you can still, as a listener of this podcast, do not forget, get 15% off at the nbamath.com shop. That's nbamath.com slash shop. Promo code Benno, B-E-N-O. You should hopefully know how to spell it anyway because he gets a shout out at the end of every podcast that Andy is on. So that's about 99.9% of our podcast. Um, I, the question, though, that we have to get to because the people demand it. They demand it, Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk um, lineups. I, I love looking at lineup data, and you've given—I I think you've given us a new way to look at it that I haven't done before. So that's fun. Before we kind of get there, though, Curry in his—that was his first game back from his ankle injury, right? On Friday, yeah. Yep. Um, during that Hawks game, he suffered a grade two MCL sprain to his left knee. His recovery will be reevaluated in three weeks and the Warriors announced this on Saturday. Um, I, what, what do you kind of make of this? The Warriors, it's, it's very weird. Are they, this injury is real and it seems like <laughs> Kate, Kevin Durant's injury, just because they have the, the word fracture in it, that seems serious. You have Clay Thompson. There's been Draymond Green is dealing with um, some, a pelvic contusion. Are, are you worried about this team now? Are you at that point? Um, if it depends on how long Curry's out, I guess. I mean, if he comes back and, and is fully healthy in time for, say, the second round, I don't think I'd be that worried about him. Uh, but if yeah, I mean, he's the key, obviously, I, I've, I've posted a lot of stuff on Twitter over the course of the season that how many followers they are have a completely lost? different. What's that? How many followers have you lost by tweeting that? Uh, I don't know. Probably a few. They're a completely different team when he's on the floor uh, as opposed to when he's not, which is pretty obvious. But, you know, you would think we still have Kevin Durant. You'll be fine without Stephen Curry. That hasn't necessarily been the case all season. Um, so I would still think – I was about to say whoever they get in the first round, they'll probably be fine. But with with how crazy the standings are <laughs> – um, if they don't have Curry for the first round, is there a team that would that you think they should be legitimately worried about? I'm trying to think now. If they don't have Curry, the the Spurs would, would worry the, me if they get the Spurs, Kawhi back. Would the Jazz scare them if 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 like Clay and Curry are both out? You know, I I think it they should because all of a sudden if you have Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles and Jay Crowder between the three of them to chase around. Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant, and you could even argue Draymond Green's a matchup nightmare for the Jazz in theory. But now that you have Jay Crowder there, maybe it's not so bad. Yeah, I mean he can at least make it difficult, more difficult for him than guys that they had last year. Minnesota wouldn't scare me. The Pelicans wouldn't scare me if I were them. Um, the Nuggets would be interesting, but they probably won't even get into the playoffs at this point. Yeah, that's 
they are an interesting one, and they for the last couple of years have actually they've played the Warriors better than most teams. Um, they've even beaten them pretty soundly a couple of times. So I do. I think my sort of my instinct and my first answer I was going to give is they should be just fine in the first round. But the more I think about it, if Curry's not there, uh, maybe there is something to worry about. I don't know. The at the, on the most fundamental level, I guess we could spin it this way because I'm agreeing with you. They'll get out of the first round. It's in again unless Kawhi is on the Spurs and they're the eighth seed, which neither of those two things looks like. They're particularly likely at this point. The Spurs are number five, and they also don't have Kawhi back. And the whole drama with them is just, we've talked about that way too much. Speaking of teams that are just dysfunctional, who would have thought that the Spurs would have come up uh, on our list of the teams that we talked about most frequently in that department this year? But I digress. I They'll get out of the first round, but it's probably going to take more than like four or five games. And that's yeah. just extra time that they have to play, which means something when you're trying to get to your fourth straight NBA Finals. And also, uh, if Curry's not available, that might actually be a good thing. If they have to spend an extra week in each of the like series that he's gone, maybe he gets back for more important right. games. Well, the I don't thing know. Is, oh, so three weeks takes him into the playoffs because there's basically there's less than three weeks left of the season right now. There's like two and change. Their last game is on Tuesday, April 10th against the Jazz. That'd be a good measuring stick game. <laughs> Um, I, is, is it going to be like a situation in 2016 where I think we could very clearly, I don't want to downplay Cleveland's comeback because what LeBron did during that series was spectacular, but Curry clearly wasn't right. And yeah. it'd be one thing if you're confident enough now because you have Kevin Durant, where if you even need to hold him out until the Western conference finals and you could do that and he comes back and then he's Stephen Curry, you're almost at an advantage because this is a weapon that is fresh and that you haven't unleashed just yet. It's almost like the last year when we saw the Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry pick and roll. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe it just depends on how they look in those first round or two without Curry. In fact, I think I kind of said the same thing that year that Curry went down in the first round. It was like, just hold him out as long as you can get, get to a point where, it looks like you need him back. Otherwise, just keep him out. Let him get as healthy as he possibly can. Because, like you said, there was obviously a difference between fully healthy Curry and, and not quite fully healthy Curry. And, yet, and it it's, makes a world of difference. It almost feels weird that we're not saying that now because this team has Kevin Durant and that one didn't. Uh, I'm not saying they, well, should I know. Still I try and hold him, they should still try and hold him out as long as they can, obviously. But I feel like there are teams that are more equipped to give them a challenge this year without Curry because you look at they yeah. faced Houston in the first round that team was not that great in 2016 the Clippers I mean they just their glass ceiling was we're just not going to win games after the first round <laughs> and the the Spurs series that I mean the Spurs are the Spurs I, I just I feel like there could be two really tough matchups for them this year to where there will be more of an urgency to bring him back I'm curious because uh, I haven't looked at this in a few weeks I want to see what their net rating is now when uh, when Durant's on the floor and Curry is not. I've almost I almost have it. In some so perver- with- in some perverse way, I'm almost I want Clay Thompson to get healthier and Draymond Green before Durant, just so we could look like and see what the team would be if those two were running it, just Clay and Draymond yeah. full time. So when Curry's on the court with Durant, the Warriors are outscoring opponents by thirteen point eight points per 100 possessions and when curry when when durant is on the floor and curry is off um golden state's outscoring opponents by 3.7 points per 100 possessions it's a huge difference right. i want to see what it is since uh since january 1st you ready for this i hope i hope so when durant is on the floor and curry is off since january 1st the warriors are actually being outscored by one point per 100 possessions oh boy it's interesting. That's a disaster tweet right there. And that's and that's it. a lot of the uh, that's a lot of the games that Curry has missed. So it's it's like this scenario that we're talking about where Kevin Durant is is basically the guy. Now they can still I, I still think the Warriors can find another level in the playoffs, like we've talked about all year and like we talked about all last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that changes the discussion a little bit. But I, I do think we are entering 
uh, some territory that's that's pretty rare for the Warriors, where worry is um, it's legitimate. And even if it's not, knowing about getting to the Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals, knowing what happened in 2016 when he wasn't himself or completely himself, that's just a concern then yeah. on its own, even if you don't have to worry about winning the first two rounds. The other injury news that broke, I think it was Saturday. Everyone was waiting on like pins and needles for the Stephen Curry news, and then Woj tweeted out about Kyrie Irving like a little bit beforehand. He had a procedure done on his knee to alleviate soreness and is expected to need three to six weeks to recover. This was just basically described as a minor surgery, which speaking as someone who knows nothing about medical stuff, I just, to me, there just are no minor surgeries. It just seemed, especially this late in the season, but to lose him for three to six weeks, that's the regular season for them. And Boston, they've been good without Kyrie Irving on the floor, but who's your go-to scorer? If they have to start the playoffs without him, that's going to be... Think about, well, are they are they slated to take on Miami right now? Yeah, that would be the 2-7 matchup would be Boston and Miami. Miami can beat them without Kyrie, don't you think? I I don't think there's a team that you can name that they could comfortably beat without Kyrie Irving in the first round. Even if it's the Bucks who've been struggling, but they have Giannis. Giannis, yeah. Washington, if they have a healthy John Wall. Indiana has been nuts this season. I don't. The Philadelphia won't fall this far, but if they have to play the Sixers, they're screwed. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Um I think I agree with you. I, I don't think there's any team in that mix that would shock me to see them beat the Celtics without Kyrie. I don't know if that's a huge minus for the Celtics. I, I, I think we've talked about this. It, it was This was sort of a transitional year anyway. And those first right. few months were um, th- those first few months were just kind of found money. So if they get bounced in the first round, it's, they can easily explain it away as Hayward didn't play, Kyrie didn't play. We relied on a rookie and a second-year guy if Jalen Brown is back by then. Um, I, I, I don't think that's a huge issue for Boston going forward. It kind of feels like everything's about next year anyway. Yeah, I would agree with you. To get to fair as well as they have, just looking at the loss of Hayward would be a big deal. Yeah, for sure. And, and like we've said a few times on here, when, when Hayward first went down, I I thought they were like, a borderline 500 team. So they've, they've obviously vastly overperformed my expectations. I can't wait for, for whatever that's worth. that question. Brad Stevens legitimacy as a head coach though. If they flame out in the first round or something, <laughs> some, some, yeah, somebody will have something to say. That's for sure. Um, so that means we can get to this lineup data. And again, this Andy and I did not rank these subjectively. We just agreed that the formula I was going to use was fine enough to get a list of 25. And then we can kind of, riff about them and see if there are any outliers. The The protocol for this was fairly straightforward, but cleaning the glass breaks down possessions played for lineups. So I went through and looked at the net ratings for all teams, uh, excuse me, all lineups that had played at least 95 possessions this season. And the reason I used the cutoff as 95 was the team that plays at the slowest pace this year, the Memphis Grizzlies, use a little over 97 possessions per 48 minutes. So I just figured roughly a full game's worth of possessions as the cutoff was fair. Otherwise, we might get some smaller sample noise in there. And what I did from there is I came up with a lineup score by multiplying the net rating by the number of possessions played so that we're rewarding both effectiveness and volume. And that was just the goal. And then I divided it by 100 just so that we would come up with a more manageable score so that I don't make Andy say the number 13,611 and 2. <laughs> um, so, and by doing that also, you kind of, you just by default, you weed out the lineups that had negative net ratings to begin with. And we already have kind of the, that possession cutoff instilled. So what I then did though is I did remove the lineups that uh, are no longer able to take the floor because guys have been traded. If they're injured, that's fine as long as they're still on their team. And there are some notable ones that I, I guess I'll, I'll start off with them because two of them, the number 25 and number 24 lineups, would have come from Brooklyn and Cleveland, respectively. Number 24 was Dinwiddie, Alan Crabb, Damari Carroll, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, and Tyler Zeller. They played 628 possessions together with a net rating of 
So their lineup score was 57.78. They were 24. They had to be removed because Zeller was moved to Milwaukee. Cleveland, number 25, was was Calderon, who it's great that he shows up in basically yeah. all their most used lineups. It's, and they're like, and generally their most effective lineups, too. Yeah. Uh, Jose Calderon, J.R. Smith, LeBron James, Jay Crowder, and Kevin Love. They played 706 possessions. Net rating of 7.3, lineup score of 51.54. But Jay Crowder, who I believe makes an appearance later on this list with Utah, is no longer a member of the Cavs. This is the one that got me, though. I I remember this lineup was eye-popping for me and and some stuff I researched earlier this season. Um, Then please feel free to do the honors with it. Um, Yogi Ferrell. So this is obviously the Mavericks. Yogi Ferrell, J.J. Barea, Devin Harris. Dirk Nowitzki and Dwight Powell. And I remember, uh, I don't even remember what it was for. Maybe it was one of the stats threads or something. But Those things are awesome, by the way, everyone who's listening. If you haven't <laughs> checked you. out Andy's stat threads, they're like, they're amazing. I think I might have been looking up the difference between like when Dirk has to play with Dennis Smith and Harrison Barnes okay. as opposed to you know the veterans on the team. I was blown away when I saw this lineup. Farrell, Berea, and Harris all on the floor at the same time. And, and they were killing people. Um, you've got them here as they played 457 possessions together. They had a net rating of 24.7. They were just killing people. With this three-point guard lineup, it was like, uh, was it Illinois who did that in March Madness a bunch of years ago with, with Darren Williams and D. Brown? You just don't see that very often in the NBA. Which is one reason why we should love Rick Carlisle. Yeah, willing Devin, to, to try stuff for sure. Devin Harris, I remember he played, he was basically played most of his minutes at shooting guard this year, but I'm, I think he was used as a small forward fairly significantly. Um, well, he would have had to be in that yeah, lineup. Yeah, so at cleaning the glass while he was with Dallas, basically an even split between shooting guard and small forward. That's incredible. That's amazing, yeah. <laughs> you oh. would think that more teams will start looking at that in the next few years. This, Especially is- since guards, um, you know, there's a bunch of teams that have point guards who are 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Some are even 6'6". Six, six. You can do that. Like, think of the Wizards. They could play Sadoransky at the three with John Wall on the floor. They, they can and they should. You put Porter at the four. I mean, you can put Porter at center at this point against certain opponents and get away with it. Yeah. Um, what was interesting about this lineup, though, and I, I checked this out on NBA.com, so they ended up playing in 34 games together over 230 minutes, and the net ratings are going to be off because, and I actually like that Cleaning the Glass does this, they remove garbage time from the equation, which is why I thought that that would help remove further noise um, from some of the, because if you deal with a team, let's say Tom Thibodeau with the Minnesota Timberwolves up by 12 with a minute to go, but Carl Anthony Towns is still in for yeah. some for some reason or other. They're they're probably more affected by that than anybody. Yeah. So the removal of garbage time. This this team, this lineup, excuse me, didn't play very fast, which would make sense because you're dealing with Dirk and a lot of these ball handlers, so they're going to operate in the half court. 70.2 assist percentage. They're, this floored me. Their defensive rebounding rate was 80.3, which is not yeah, bad. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that, yeah. so I, I was super impressed. That would have been third overall on the season, which shout out to Dwight Powell for that. And their turnover percentage was basically nothing below 12. Their true shooting percentage, Andy, was almost 61. <laughs> it's so... Uh... I was sad I had to take them off. First of all, I'm sad because now we can't watch this lineup yeah. anymore. Uh, I, I, I still think it's so funny that it was the Bulls were the team that got warned for tanking when there's such clear signs um, of other teams around the league legitimately tanking. There, Rick Carlisle absolutely knew that this lineup works. <laughs> there's no way he didn't know how good it was, but they, they don't play it because they legitimately did want to lose games. A hundred percent. And I, I'm sad we don't get to see it anymore. That's probably why they made the trade for Devin Harris. They were like, yeah, oh, it certainly old. didn't hurt them. I can't good. even remember what they got. Did they just get like a second round pick or something? That was that three team deal with the Knicks. I know the Knicks got Moody. Yeah, I think Dallas got a second round pick or something like that. Oh, and the Dallas also got McDermott. Oh yeah, from- that was actually so. Yes, so 
I mean, that's a justifiable trade. But yeah, and maybe they wanted to see if they could find something in McDermott that the last couple teams couldn't. I, I mean, don't know. he's been shooting over fifty percent from three since arriving in Dallas. So yeah, is this his fourth team already? Bulls Thunder. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I almost forgot that he played for the Bulls for a minute. <laughs> I know. I was going through his teams in my head, and um, I'm looking at his numbers now. He has been really good with Dallas. Yeah, he was. I think he's going to be an interesting restricted free agent. I think the Suns should look at signing him. I know they're going to be aggressive in free agency, but they just need dudes who can dot the arc while Devin Booker is trying to run a pick and roll because he doesn't have that option right now. And that's probably been what's most impressive to me about Devin Booker is the way that his efficiency, even though it's still not incredible, it ever so slightly moves a little bit up, even though they have the lack of spacing weapons around him. But just to have him when you have TJ Warren, who likes to live in the mid-range or or even on the block sometimes, and, and just to have that guy who can come around screens and fire up because his release is fairly quick. They don't have that weapon. But that's just neither here nor there. Doug McDermott tangent sprinkled in to the best <laughs> lineups of the season. You're welcome. So I don't really know the best way to do this. I, we were talking about condensing it like before we started, but I, it might just be uh, we should run through these 25 and see if any of them just, just stick out. I know this one's not going to stick out to you, though, at number 25. If only for... Maybe it should stick out. Anyway, number 25 is Utah. Ricky Rubio, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert. They've played 737 possessions with a net rating of 6.9, lineup score of 50.85. Again, they originally didn't make this list. They would have been at number 28, but because I removed lineups that uh, with players that are no longer on said team. So... I'm impressed. It doesn't surprise me because the Jazz are good, but I'm impressed because we talk so much about how at the beginning of the year the Gobert favors Ricky Rubio combination wasn't working. Yeah, I think that's probably the takeaway uh, with this one. I am actually looking them up. Um, guess guess what this lineup's net rating was in the year 2017. Oh, God. Um, so, I'm so negative from, eight. <laughs> negative 27.5. Jesus. <laughs> In almost 100 minutes. Um, so people on Twitter who are going around saying, giving I told you so's to the people who said that that couldn't work, um, there was plenty of evidence to suggest that it couldn't work. The fact that they made it work is crazy to me. Um, there let's are, look at what there they are. There are so many just January. factors you couldn't have predicted Ricky Rubio is now shooting almost 34% from three on the season. Yeah. He's and shooting a better percentage from three than Donovan Mitchell. Did you, you know tweeted, that? Yeah, you tweeted that the other day, and I almost fainted. So here's what they are since January 1st, plus 16.5 in um, almost three times as many minutes. So I, I, them, I was just but... amazed that they were able to figure out how to make that work. Um, favors and Gobert has basically always worked. It was just the addition of one more, like total non-shooter in Ricky Rubio that that had everybody sort of scratching their heads. But like you said, him, he seems to have figured out how to shoot. Um, you know, he he at least commands some kind of attention out there. And I think Gobert and Favors are very used to playing with each other. They know how to hit each other in tight spaces with those little interior passes. And then obviously the shooting of of Ingles. It, that's the really, really the only true spacing they have. I think defenses, they they definitely respect Mitchell's range, even though he's only shooting thirty three and a half percent. They're still uptight on him when he's out there, so he helps too. But um, yeah, I think the general takeaway is it's just crazy that they figured that out. Ricky Rubio, since the Jazz went on at the, I did this. It's twenty three games, and the significance of I know twenty three is a random number, but it was the first win before they went on that 11-game winning streak, and mm-hmm. that completely turned their season around. He's averaging 3.5 three-point attempts per game in almost 32 minutes. He's shooting 42.5% from beyond the arc. That is crazy. That's truly crazy. We're talking about close to four attempts per 36 minutes. That's not nothing. Yeah. He has somehow become... <laughs> it, he's just changed his game entirely. Not only is he posting those those career high or close to career high shooting percentages like you said he's way more volume than he's ever had in his career career high in attempts uh per minute three-point attempts per minute um 
it's it, I, I think the biggest lesson with the Jazz this season is sometimes you just got to be patient. And maybe that's why it's so much easier for me to yell about it on Twitter than to make the decision as the head coach to say, we got to switch this up. And obviously, Quinn Snyder was right to keep pounding away with that lineup. In at number 24, I don't think, I think the fact that they're there at number 25 is, is how I'll put the bow on this is just surprising based off what we said at the beginning of the year. But the fact that they actually are there now, given with what we've seen and what those numbers we just talked about say, that's not surprising to me at all. It's impressive that they climbed this high after their start, but it's not, it doesn't seem like an outlier to me. Yeah, I would agree. Number 24 from the Pelicans, and this is a lineup that can no longer be used because it includes DeMarcus Cousins, but again, I didn't remove teams for injuries. Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, Darius Miller, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins. They've played 124 possessions, which was on the lower end of this list. They have a, they have a net rating of 42.1, though. They're, and this is coming from NBA.com. Their defensive rebounding rate during the time they were on the floor, and they did appear in 16 games, uh, but their defensive rebounding rate in the time they were on the floor is 89.1. Jeez. Their assist percentage was below 55, which I get. It makes kind of sense because you have a lot of guys like Holiday and Davis and Cousins who like to operate on their own. Their true shooting percentage was 64.4, and they played at almost 105 possessions for 48 minutes, which would by far and away be the fastest pace in the league. It's amazing to me that they didn't try to use this lineup more because when they first got DeMarcus Cousins, it was like the only way this is going to work is if you have those two guys out there with three shooters. Uh-huh. And that's those are the natural three you would pick, Drew Holiday, each one more, and Darius Miller. But, of course, they wanted to play um, Rajon Rondo, which moved Holiday up a position. And um, this this one just makes so much more logical sense to me than anything they can do with Rondo. Yeah, and I think they're experimenting on the wing is really why. Even you account for the Rondo, yes, but their experimentation on the wing uh, definitely cut into this. Maybe the Gentry didn't think Darius Miller was going to shoot 42.1% from three for the entire year, which is exactly... Yeah, exactly. I'm sure plenty of people didn't realize that. That's that's true. And that's on 6.7 attempts for 36 minutes, which is just absolutely nuts to me. The the other thing is, is they have so many guards that Drew, Drew Holiday is the point guard in this situation, and he has played a lot of his minutes at shooting guard because it almost felt like, or looks like the Pelicans feel as if they need... For some reason, it felt like Rondo's been better on defense, too, of late. But just in the early going, it for some reason, they seem married to the idea that Rondo had to be on the floor, that Drew Holiday needed to spend most of his minutes at shooting guard. So, so I think all that factored into it. But that doesn't really surprise me because, like you said, on paper, this, this is a lineup that just looks like it should work. All right, 23, unless you have anything else on that. Nope. Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Mo Harkless, Al Farouk Aminu, and Yusuf Nurkic. Um, they've played 852 possessions. They have a plus 6.6 net rating, and that gives them a lineup score of 56.23. Oh, I this didn't is another one that, score for the Pelicans. They were 52.2. Sorry, okay. go ahead. That's fine. This is another one that just sort of, um, it's, I guess it's not that surprising. Is, is this their current starting lineup? For them, no, I don't think yeah. it is. It is. They've been. They put Harkless back. They they like shifted it up. Did they not? I know oh, no, they do right. change it a lot. Um, oh no, and it's so been their it starting lineup for a while. That okay. catches me off guard. I think in part because the only the other day that I realized that Mo Harkless has all of a sudden been shooting really well from three point range because I remember he started off the season ice cold. Aminu at the four has always been his best position too. Um, I've been kind of hard on Nurkic. This season, I don't think he helps you much, if at all, on offense. But I, I think he's probably a big part of their defensive transformation. So this this lineup being there is is not particularly surprising to me. No, not at all. And they it, it's ironic, like they have their net rating is just inherently better when Alpha Rook Amenu is at the four, and and so that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Nurkic, I, he's been good for them on defense, particularly around the rim. But I, I do wonder how much of it could also be just the scheme that they play, and it does make it a little bit easier on guys who are defending the rim. But at the same time, their defensive, I don't want to, maybe a renaissance if we want to call it that, that it sort of just coincided with his arrival last year. 
So he definitely deserves. Yeah, for sure. He definitely deserves some credit there. And I, Harkless has just been. If he's going to continue to shoot the ball as well as he has too, he's still not the the highest volume guy. But there was the game I think in early February against Boston. He just it was like he wasn't shooting threes for a while, and then all of a sudden he started shooting them again. And now since February first, which is eighteen games for him, he's been shooting fifty three point two percent from deep. I think he has another one of those contract incentives too. Yeah, if he hits I, a certain percentage, he'll get a little bonus. If it's the same as the one, it, I, th- I think it was thirty five last year. If it's thirty five again, he can launch away because he's not falling down to thirty five at this point. No, it's. I just wonder, could he do it on heavier volume? Three point three attempts for thirty six minutes isn't really a, enough. And also, they've they've gone back and forth with him because his minutes have just been slashed, and some of that's because. Shabazz Napier, now you kind of have the option of playing him with McCollum and Lillard if you want to go with souped-up lineups, mm-hmm. and so that eats up into everyone's minutes. You have that Davis, that Collins combination. So there's a lot of stuff there, but if he's going to give you – it's I don't know, it seems so simple. The Blazers, their defense has been great, but their offense, it was just predicated on just a lot of what-ifs on the spacing front, and if they're going to hit on those – and Harkless was one of the question marks, just like Aminu is kind of – like a career question mark from beyond the arc, even though he's been better since he went to Portland. Even Evan Turner over the last, it's, I don't know, it's, it's been a while. I'd, I'd have to look again. I'm trying to look it up right now. Over his last 30-something games, uh, 32 games, he's been shooting 37.3% from three. On It's under two attempts per game, but the Blazers are just getting, guys are hitting shots. So this lineup doesn't surprise me either. You want to do number 22 since I commandeered the first two? Sure. Um Tomas Satransky, Bradley Beal, Kelly Oubre, Otto Porter, and Markeith Morris. Um, How do you know that's not Marcus Morris? <laughs> I'm just taking a stab in the dark. I don't know where <laughs> either one of them plays. Um, I, I do. Just joking, guys. <laughs> I like that lineup. Just reading it off, I thought, that one makes sense to me. Um, I, I've always kind of liked Markeith at the five for Washington. Um, Otto Porter at the four. So I and I I think I'm just a proponent of small ball. Maybe that's what it is. But it's only played 164 possessions. It has a 37.2 net rating, which is wild. Um, so that the lineup score there is 61.01. But again, I think I think what's appealing to me about this lineup is just small, um, switchy, Sadoransky, Beal, and Ubre and Porter, and even Morris. I mean, that's that's a lineup you could probably switch one through five. So. Um, I like that one stylistically quite a bit. Offensively, I love it. Defensively, they're 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 about average when you look at their defensive rating. Which is, if you're going to play Markeith at the five, then give me a give me yeah, an you, average defense. Yeah, they their true shooting percentage sixty eight point three. They play fairly fast, one hundred and two possessions per forty eight minutes. It is a limited sample, but they've they've played in nineteen games this year. Maybe it's one of those things. I wonder if you could do. When John Wall's back, can you do the same with him? Because that lineup, it's only seen, it's actually seen if you remove Sadoransky for John Wall, that resulting lineup has actually seen more minutes than this one, but the defense is just far worse. It's They have a defensive rating of almost 111. Their net rating Sadoransky is, is good, man. Yeah, he's clearly better than John Wall, is all. <laughs> Quote me. It'll be. This should be something maybe they roll out in the playoffs, except it's awkward because then your best player isn't on the floor for it. Because I get why the defense would suffer. Wall can be a good to really good defender, but Sadoransky's going to give you a little bit more positional versatility. Maybe you could remove Beal and put Wall there, and that would be. I I don't. I just don't know how you. That lineup hasn't seen time this year. I just looked that up. I just. It's awkward because I like it so much, but we can't sit here and say maybe it's a secret weapon they're saving for the playoffs because that means that John Wall isn't on the floor. I like the idea of Wall, Beal, and Sadoransky at one through three, too. That's something. I don't know how much they've tried that. Um, actually, the Wizards are number 21 as well. Yeah. They're, they have That's the John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto, Otto Porter, Markeith Morris, Marcin Gortat lineup. They've played 893 possessions net rating of 7.1 for a lineup score of 63.4. And that's just the line that I don't, I don't have anything else to say with that lineup because it's been 
the, one of the most reliable ones in the NBA for this has to be, I would say, the third year that it's been that reliable. Yeah, this has been their starting. When did, when did they trade for Markeith Morris? How long has that been? This might be his third season there, I believe. They've, yeah, this this has been. This is just like the Walt, the Wizard starters. It's just kind of <laughs> what we've come to know him as. I, I'm with you. Very consistent for sure. They just they play, they operate well in the half court. True shooting percentage of fifty seven point eight. Uh, defensive rebounding percentage is fine. They don't they don't get a high number of assists. It's just that it, everything seems to work. You can run the pick and rolls with Marcin Gortat and. John Wall, and then you're going to have all those other guys are basically shooters around them. You at least have to ex- respect Markeith on certain nights. That that's just it's it's amazing because I don't look at this lineup though. I look at it because of what we know about it and say, yeah, that's it's definitely going to be here. But I don't necessarily look at it and think that it should be a great lineup. I think it's just complementary enough, and that everyone is good enough in the role that they're supposed to assume that that things just click. You want to do twenty? That's all you. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Wilson Chandler, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic. So this is another starting five. Um, when they first signed Millsap this summer, I was very, very excited for this lineup. And I think the data that we're looking at here suggests that they've done really well. Um, 704 possessions, 9.4 net rating, um, lineup score of 66.18. So they're effective. It just still feels like there's a little something missing, at least offensively. Um, it just doesn't seem to fully unleash Nikola Jokic. And, and <laughs> I'm not even sure the numbers fully back that up. Um, but yeah, that's just sort of my general takeaway on this one. I mean, they're on the season, their offensive rating with these five on the court is 115.1. So, I'm not, so the numbers definitely don't back what I said. Yeah. Um, so it's it it seems like it's probably it has to be their best. And maybe lineup. it's maybe I'm just waiting too heavily. Like the first few games that Millsap was back, and there were legitimate problems. I mean, because still, everything else has been fine. There still are legitimate problems. You would want this unit to be good offensively in the event that it can't. Uh, excuse me, better defensively in the event that it can't. Uh, um, give you know continue to post a, a 115 plus offensive rating and to your point since Millsap returned this five has a defensive rating of 113.2 and yet their offensive rating is still close to 120 so this lineup is just going to get you buckets I just their true shooting percentage since uh, Millsap is back is 63 it looks like with this group on the floor I get it it looks like an intriguing lineup on paper the problem for the Nuggets is short of you can play around with some things, maybe take out Chandler for Will Barton, or maybe you even take out uh, Paul Chandler Millsap. Chandler for Bart- Barton is going to submarine the defense even more. I saw, I can't remember which Nuggets writer it was, but he posted like their five worst defensive lineups or something, and Barton well, was one. I would like to let you know that since Millsap came back, if you put in Barton for Wilson Chandler, that resulting unit has played 53 minutes with an offensive rating of 129.5 and a defensive rating of 90.3. Huh. <laughs> I'm just getting well actually left and right on these nuggets. Keep uh, going. My, my point was, though, the problem it gets, you can even do some things. Like, if you put Barton in for Millsap, that could work, too. That's not a lineup I would go to all the time, but Chandler can play. I like that lineup. Chandler at the four was, like, figuring some things out. Yeah, so, but it, once you go beyond those six guys, it gets really tough for the nuggets, even if you like a lot of their talent individually. Trey Lyles has been like fine Lyles. offensively, yeah. but what is he going to do for you on defense? He it looks like he not has some extra now. versatility, yeah. but he's just not a good defender. So another not it's not surprising that they're there, but the problem with the Nuggets is not this lineup; it's what happens after it. Yeah, that's number fair. number nineteen, uh, San Antonio Spurs, Javante Murray, um, Patty Mills. I almost said Paul Millsap because the abbreviations are the same. Yeah, it's the same. Uh, Danny Green. Kyle, Kyle Anderson and LaMarcus Aldridge. They have played 244 possessions. This is now their current starting lineup too, right? Yep. Since they took Pow. I love out. how yeah. Pop is just like, fuck it, we're playing LaMarcus at the five now. Who is Pow? I don't even know who yeah. he is. <laughs> they have a net rating of 27.7 and a lineup score of 67.59. I'm not, this lineup doesn't surprise me. I think it surprised me that they've played so much because 
Greg Popovich has sort of been reluctant to run with small ball fours in the past, and Rudy Gay has changed some of that a little bit, but um, it's very interesting to see that he's sticking with it outside of Rudy Gay. Um, I guess I get it. I, I, I really like the way that this lineup is put together. I, I also like that if they're starting five now, I think this is one of their best lineups. And I don't, is there another, I'm not going to give any spoilers about whether or not there's any other Spurs lineups ahead of them. Um, it's one of their best. I'll leave it at that. I was trying to find, I was looking up defensive real plus minus while you were talking. Cause in my head, I see DeJounte Murray, Danny Green, and Kyle Anderson. And to me, that's three of the top 20 defenders in the league. Is that fair? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, if you're going by those numbers, then yeah. So I wanted to see like where they, so Kyle Anderson is 10th in defensive real plus minus in the NBA this season. DeJounte Murray is ninth. Looks like Danny Green's not in the top 40. But he's just reliable uh, still. He's someone you can Yeah, stick. I still I still love him as a defender. He's 56th in defensive real plus minus this season. So you have three really great defenders. And then Patty Mills can get hot in a hurry. And LaMarcus Aldridge, you've talked about it a bunch of times on this podcast. He is, he is basically the offense at times. <laughs> and I think that's a good way to play him is – he is undeniably the focal point of the offense in that lineup, and you just surround him with bulldog defenders, and and it looks like it's working. One of the things that helps too is just for when you look at D- D- Murray, his arms just go on forever, and yeah, when you just look at he get he can block a good amount of shots for a point guard. He's good at working his hands in the passing lane. The better rebounder than you're going to get. He's a at great most, rebounder. Yeah, yeah. Than you're going to get at the point guard department. What's interesting to me, though, is this unit has an offensive rating of almost 120. Their true shooting percentage is at 57.5, which almost just seems a little low given that type of yeah, success. But that's true. Given the, given the shots that the Spurs still probably have, like Murray's still a non-shooter. We know Aldridge Did doesn't really get... take threes. Same with Anderson. I was going to – you said true shooting percentage, right? Yeah, sorry. Oh, Yeah. That is weird, because I was going to ask if they get a bunch of free throws, but that obviously accounts for free throws, so that is weird. And it, I, I guess it makes sense, because true shooting would be weighed a little bit heavier by if they shot a ton of threes in that lineup, but Kyle Anderson, if you look at the three of the guys that are on this, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, 1.4 three-point attempts per 36 minutes, Javante Murray, 0.7 three-point attempts per 36 minutes, and then... Uh, where is Kyle Anderson is at one per 36 minutes. So that makes a little bit of sense there, but that's just so Spursy. And their defensive rating is sub 19.2 because, again, it's the Spurs. Yeah. Um, I have not been surprised I love this yet. next one. I, so, so do I. Um, this one surprised me seeing it. I don't know if it surprised you or not. Jarrett Jack... Courtney Lee, People Tim just Hardaway. People off this podcast when they heard you say that. <laughs> Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and Ennis Cantor. Um, 770 possessions, 9.2 net rating, 70.84 lineup score. This must have been from that time when you were ranting here and there on the podcast about how the Knicks need to start tanking. Um but they, does a lot of this stem from the first like twenty games of the season? It has to, and their their volume helps. So you have their net rating that was that was inflated by that early season it's, success, and then seven hundred and seventy possessions ranks out of all. So the the sample size we're working with, I should have said this at the beginning, was of almost three hundred and fifty total lineups, and this in total possessions among that sample size ranks number sixteen. So that volume definitely helps. That helps. But but a it, nine point two net rating is still good. Right, and the Knicks had like the best crunch time offense, and this was the lineup that played a lot of crunch time during, like through December fifteenth. So that just it, you know it doesn't it's not too it's surprising that it's still here that that I have to say but yeah it was just surprising to see like the Knicks in general the fact the fact that you had Tim Hardaway, Jarrett Jack, and Canner on the floor at the same time and their defensive rating was hundred and five point two, is crazy to me. They had a true shooting percentage of 57.1. They, they played super slow. This just seems like a lot of Kristaps Porzingis was hitting shots at the beginning of the year. So was Canner, and he's going to get you. Their offensive rebounding rate was 25.4. Uh, 
with this unit, which is for context that that's nuts. That'd be the third highest in the league over the course of the entire season. So it, it makes sense that it's, it, if you could extrapolate that data and say this lineup played the entire year, I don't think that they would be here just because there would have been regression to the mean, but they were so yeah. good at the beginning of the year that it makes sense that they're kind of here now. Um, um, before we get to 17, or, or go through 17, and then I'll um, so say what no, I was say. Number six, number, what are we on? Oh, wait, I, I moved 17. the page. Sorry. Number 17 uh, is the Golden State Warriors have... Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Danny Green, Zaza Pachulia was their starting lineup until this was before the spate of injuries. They just decided that Pachulia wasn't the right fit there anymore. 898 possessions played, 8.1 net rating, 72.74 lineup score. And before you say anything, I'm just going to say I probably would have expected this to have fallen higher. Oh, I definitely would have. Um, and I think in previous years, I'm sure it would have. Oh, without question. Um, as an aside, Dan's got the names on here as first initial, period, and then first four letters of the last name. And it's kind of funny. Like you said that you almost called Patty Mills Paul Millsap. Um, my first thought when I saw K. Tom was Kurt Thomas. S. Kerr could have been Steve Kerr. <laughs> you would have thought um, the one D. Green would have been Danny Green, but... Yeah, that those are the same, Danny Green and Draymond Green. Anyway, completely irrelevant, but I'm I'm having kind of fun by myself over here looking at these um, abbreviations. I'm with you. I think it would have been higher, or I I I would have expected it to be higher. Um, and I don't really know. Maybe I'm trying to think of a reason that it's not as good. Maybe it's just sort of the apathy that people have been talking about basically all season with the Warriors. They're just not quite as locked in as they were in years past? I don't know. What 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 would you um, say is the cause here? I would agree with everything you said. It probably Draymond Green being kind of, I hate to use the word non-shooter, but having to deal with that, that probably impacts it. Pachulia hasn't been as good as he was in years past. This lineup, it doesn't get to the free throw a ton. Their free throw rate with this lineup on the floor is, for the, the Warriors is, Point one seven four, so I I just I I would be more inclined to say that it's apathy. Their true shooting percentage is fine. It's through it's sixty four point eight, and they're still good. They have an offensive rating of a hundred and eighteen point six. Their defense is almost at a hundred and point nine, and that speaks to what Andy was kind of saying: is they're not going to be this. They're one not an incredible defensive rebounding team to begin with, and this this lineup is uh, no real exception, I guess. Although it's better than I expected it would be. So I'll take that part of it back, but the apathy would be a good explanation, and I, I can't... You really want to hear a fun troll stat? <laughs> Please, always. So I'm on the impact tool again. It says that when Curry, Thompson, Durant, Green, and Pachulia are on the floor, uh, Golden State's plus 10 points per 100 possessions. When Curry, Thompson, Pachulia, and Green are on the floor without Kevin Durant, they're plus 16 points per 100 possessions. They need to trade Kevin Durant. <laughs> he has had some weird on-off numbers this season. Um, that's all I will, I will say about that. It's interesting. I, can't, I honestly I, can't I think, believe yeah, you think I, that I, the, I, the Warriors need to trade Kevin Durant. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, my real answer is, is apathy, not Kevin Durant. So don't do you get think, me too Do you think Pachulia is going to stay in the starting lineup once all the health stuff has worked out? Because he started the past five games, but obviously the Warriors haven't had their normal personnel available. I always kind of thought... Um, I like Pachu- or, uh, McGee with those starters. And I always kind of wondered why uh, Steve Kerr didn't do it more. He just, I don't know, they seemed like they always played really well with him, and they just, I don't, I don't know. I'd be with you. I'd love to even see Jordan Bell there, but maybe that's not something you want to roll actually, out right now. That's a good, that's a good one, too. I actually thought earlier in this season, I thought, when are they going to make the switch and, and just have him as the full-time starting five? They've got options. David West even makes sense at the five, but they never roll that lineup out. At least the last time I looked that up, um, there was almost no minutes with those four and David West at the five. You want to go through number 16? Sure. Uh, Hornets, Kemba Walker, 
Nicola Batum, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, Dwight Howard. Um, wow, this one has 1,933 possessions. Only one of every lineup that qualifies for this list, so all 340-something, only one lineup played more possessions. And I guarantee you, you could guess who it is. Guarantee you. Without even, I don't know if I've already seen it, but out. I would have guessed. Okay. Um, we won't spoil anything there. Okay. They are plus 3.9. Uh, that's their net rating. So their lineup score is 75.39. This, to me, just underscores, uh, I think, the most common thing with the stats thread and the Hornets for me earlier in the season was the difference between that team when Kimball Walker was on the floor and when he was off. And I think this just sort of underscores that. This this is their natural starting lineup. And for it to be you know, this high up on a list like this and for them to still be as far below 500 as they are, that's, that's pretty damning for the bench. A hundred percent. And they've been, they've had some different bench combinations that have worked later in the season. I think the emergence of Travion Graham has helped them as well. Frank Kaminsky's played a lot better getting Cody Zeller back, certainly deepened them a little bit, but it was just too little too late. And this lineup itself to me, isn't even that great. It's just, they're, they're okay to good over a long span of time, which yes, has its value, particularly on a team that's fared as poorly as the Hornets. But um, I just feel like I wouldn't go, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to, I just, I'm not impressed by it. It almost surprises me that they're here, but the consistency there, uh, it does make sense. Yeah, I was a little surprised too, just because, like I said, they're a ways below 500. But yeah, they're, they've been just solid for, for such a long time. And I have to apologize for stumbling, but I've, I, you're blowing up my phone on the side about how to <laughs> I'm like trying to read in that same time. Um, I, I didn't sense a stumble at all, so I'm sure the listeners won't either, except for the fact that you just outed yourself. <laughs> the lineup that you're about to – oh, I'll, I'll read this one off. Number 15. This is actually my favorite Wizards lineup just because it's more realistic. I think I'd probably like the Sadoransky one more, but I know that John Wall has to play, and that makes sense. But they check in at number 15, John Wall, Bradley Beal, Kelly Oubre, Otto Porter, Marcin Gortat. They've played 413 possessions, 18.4 net rating, lineup score of 75.99. That's just, to me, that's my favorite lineup because I've never trusted Markeith Morris to be this consistent player. Yeah, and I think this is the small ball lineup that most, most people who watch the Wizards have been clamoring for for the last couple of years. Um, I might even start this way if I was the Wizards. I love Otto Porter at the four. I just think he makes a little bit more sense there. And maybe that's just my small ball bias coming through again. I just think but he's going to give you more of a consi- – he's a better shooter than Markeith Morris, and so is Kelly Oubre Jr. at this point too. Yeah. And Yeah, I like having uh, as many sort of switchy – wing and, and guard players as you can on the floor at once. That's that's just sort of my philosophy right now. I think that's it should be everyone's philosophy at this point, yeah. I would think. And I think it probably is a lot of front offices' philosophy. Maybe it's not something you want to start with, though, just because the bench is already kind of touch and go, even with Sadoransky once you put Wall back in. So you, do you want to play your best card, and, and do you trust? They really, although it would be... What if Markeith was like your heat check guy yeah, off the bench? That's though. what I was just thinking. But And they've been reluctant to kind of try that. So I, just food for thought. The defense of, of this lineup, though, 94 defensive rating. They just have more... I don't wow. think you lose any switchability because Porter and Markeith Morris can defend the same bigger guys, and Porter can probably de- is going to defend smaller guys that Markeith can't. And then Oubre is kind of the same way. I wouldn't mind. He's... He's sneaky strong, even though he doesn't look it. And he can switch on to point guards, which is just something you're not going to get with Markeith Morris. So this is my favorite lineup for them, if we're going to assume that John Wall has to play. should love how I All say right. that. <laughs> the next one we have is at number 14. It's the Pacers. And I, I just love the fact that this is even here, because before the season... Um, I absolutely shit on this team. <laughs> I was going to say, nobody would have expected this. Um Darren Collison, Victor Oladipo, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, Thad Young, and Domantas Sabonis. Um, and obviously the crazy thing here is that the Pacers, this lineup that's really good for them and one of the best lineups in the NBA, has Oladipo and Sabonis, who they traded for Paul George. And it was supposed to just 
almost inner tank mode for this team, but they have vastly outperformed expectations. They've played 708 possessions, 10.9 net rating, 77.17 lineup score. Um, I, I'm a big fan of any time athletes sort of blow up uh, the the easy answer, or the narrative, or the way that people are cheering against them. Um, and that's that's what all the Depot and Sabonis have done this season. Can you explain to me, or would have a reason for why, if you put Miles Turner in for Sabonis, this lineup gets appreciably worse? Um, I don't know if I have an, like a, a quick explanation. I think Turner is obviously a better defender. What's the difference in offensive rating? Because my my gut answer to that would be Sabonis's passing maybe opens up their offense a little bit. But I'd be curious to see if the numbers back that up. Like, is the offensive rating on this lineup a lot better than the one with Turner? It is not. So when you put Turner, oh, so it's, in, it's, it's something else. Yeah, it's one hundred and ten when you put Turner in, and then you when you roll with Sabonis, it's one hundred nine point six. So about the same. Yeah, it's just so the defense is a lot better. That does surprise me. Turner has is just he's still developing defensively, but the defensive rating with the Turner lineup is one hundred eight point five, which is like almost nine points per one hundred possessions worse than what it is when Sabonis is on the floor. I don't. That is very interesting. Yeah, I don't. Just is it a matter of like the quality of opponents they faced? I honestly, maybe yeah, Turner. There could be a lot of noise there, but he, it's yeah when surprising he surprising nonetheless. Back, no, one hundred one hundred percent agree with you, but it's great. It doesn't surprise me that they're here. Just because that well, at least Oladipo, not at this point. It would have shocked us yeah, six if you months ago. Yeah. The Oladipo, Collison, Bogdanovich, young combination has worked really well all year, particularly on the offensive end. So it doesn't now that we've seen the sample, it doesn't surprise me that they cracked the top fifteen. Um, number fourteen, Portland Trailblazers. Damian, no, this is thirteen. Oh wow. Number thirteen, Portland Trailblazers, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Evan Turner, Aminu, and Nurkic. They've played seven hundred and eighty nine possessions. 10.1 net rating, 79.69 lineup score. Are you surprised by this? I almost um, I want to say yes, and I'm gonna. I'm just going to say I'm a little bit shocked to see a lineup that has both Aminu and Evan Turner in it crack the top 15. Do you remember when they first got Evan Turner? And I'm pretty sure it was on the podcast. I said something like, Damian Lillard is sort of like Stephen Curry light. C.J. McCollum, you could say, is kind of like a, a Clay Thompson light. And I thought, maybe Evan Turner can do some of the stuff that Draymond Green does um, for the Warriors, just as like an offensive playmaker who gets open shots for those guys. Um, so maybe that's coming to fruition a little bit, finally. I always felt like those three would work together. I get that people say, you know, Lillard and McCollum both kind of need the ball in their hands at times, but I think they're both good catch-and-shoot options, too. So it, this, it makes sense to me that these three um, have, have found a way to make it work. And it's mostly defensively, which would <laughs> – the defensive rating of this lineup is 98.6, which would seem to just make – and they're, they're still – What's their offensive rating? 108.5, so it's still good. Yeah. And again, Evan Turner, as I said before, has been shooting – better than 37% from three for basically half the season. And Almanu has been... That certainly helps. Yeah, and, and when you have Almanu being a better shooter than he's been anywhere else since he's... Basically, for the most part, since he's come to Portland, and he, he's hitting 40.1% of his threes this season overall. And you have C.J. McCollum and Lillard. We both know they could shoot the ball. Uh, it makes sense that this would be one of the more well-balanced lineups, but it comes back to what you said. They never really... I actually liked the Turner edition, too. I was an advocate at the time and obviously not anymore, but I, that's the blueprint. I agree with you. I think they could have done the stuff, use Clay Thompson and Damian Lillard, the way Stephen Curry and, uh, sorry, excuse me, you switched McCollum it. And yeah, Lillard, there you go. the way you would Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson off Draymond Green and just put Evan Turner in that Draymond Green role. And Turner is not Draymond Green, but he's a good enough passer to, to float that. Yeah. That's a lot of what he did in, um, Boston. And obviously at Ohio state, I think he averaged like six assists his last, you're at Ohio State. He can create a little bit. Yeah. Um, catch and shoot effective field goal percentage. McCollum is 59.3. Lillard is 56.3. Those are both good numbers. And I'm looking. Um, I wanted to see what Turner's stats are 
when he shares the floor with those two. And I've just about got it. So per 36 minutes, when Evan Turner is on the floor with Damian Lillard and uh, CJ McCollum, just can't. Oh, that's the Blazers. Um, he's not even averaging that many assists. 2.6 assists per 36 minutes when he shares the floor with those two. And 4.1 when those two are off the floor. So he's getting more assists when those guys aren't on the floor. So it it must be the defense. That's well, and also like, the threat of having those two on the floor when he has the ball, it makes it a little bit easier for him to drive, too. That's probably true. Good point. Um, this now, is like the third fourth time my instinct on, on something on this podcast has been blown up by the numbers. Isn't it great when that happens? Isn't that great <laughs> when it happens? Um, before Real you time, read, too. Before you read this next lineup, this is going to be the spoiler, if someone told you the Pacers had one of these lineups in the top 15 six months ago, what would you have said had they told you they would have two? <laughs> that is crazy. Um, Corey Joseph, Victor Oladipo, Boyan Bogdanovich, Thad Young, and Miles Turner. And this must be, I think this is the lineup that they were starting while Collison was out, right? Yep. So this one has 664 possessions, net rating of 12.2, 81.01. And let's see if I'm wrong again. I'm going to guess it's defense that's, that's carrying this one. It's both. Because it's oh, okay. 109.3 offensive rating and 97.1 defensive. The defense has been off the charts. And, and quietly, the Pacers have just been getting better defensively over the course of the year. They're now 12th overall. And the last time I checked, they had the second best crunch time defense in the league. Wow. Which is, which is crazy. So yeah. um, that, it's, that lineup was big that they could turn to that. A lot of, about Corey Joseph. He's a steadying hand. He's a pretty good defender. But once you lose Collison and you're able to kind of turn to a lineup like that, and I stand corrected, the Pacers now have the best crunch time defense in the NBA. Oh, wow. Do you want to What's hear the top five? The top five defense in crunch time is the Pacers, Hornets, Bucks, Kings. Yes, the Kings and Pelicans. Do you want Two to hear, teams that aren't even in the playoff. But yeah, go hear, ahead. Well, first of all, the Kings have a winning record in crunch time games. Oh, yeah. We talked about that with De'Aaron Fox yeah. last episode. They're That's 20, crazy to me. They're 20 and 16 now with a plus 11 net rating in crunch time, which ranks, uh, it's tied for eighth overall in the league. But this stat is, you look at it, this is wild to me. The Pacers have the worst assist rate in crunch time by a mile at 28.3, and yet their offense hasn't been, it hasn't been among the best, but it's ranked in the top 15 at 109.6. So I'm just, you but you watch the Pacers play, and that, that kind of makes sense, but to have an under- 30% assist rate is just like, it must just become Oladipo time. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that Number lineup, 11. Yeah, let's roll. That's you. Oh, all right. This will be, all right, so number 11, we have, this is from the Bucks. Eric Bledsoe, Tony Snell, Chris Middleton, Giannis Attentacumpo, and John Henson. They've played 1,000, 1,090 possessions with a 7.7 net rating for a lineup score of 83.93. Their inclusion doesn't surprise me at all. A lot of, with the exception of recently, a lot of the Bucks' most used lineups have been demonstrative pluses, and it would make sense that they have uh, their most used lineup on here. It's just, if they had any sort of bench, this team would be so yeah. much more dangerous, I feel like. I was going to say that uh, I'm, I'm basically thinking the same thing I thought when we went over that Hornets lineup earlier in the pod. Um, this... This five-man group for Milwaukee has been good all season long. It's just things really fall apart when Giannis is not on the floor. And it's and one of the and you would think having Jabari come off the bench for as long as he has. Um, nope. You would you would hope that that would help that a little bit, but it's maybe time to start worrying if if that'll ever be the case with Jabari because he's had issues with on off basically his whole career. Yeah, and he, I, he's going to be interesting because he can still shoot, but it, he does seem like an awkward fit for this team. I can tell you what's not going to work, and that's starting Jason Terry is not the answer, which they <laughs> did for that game against the Clippers um, on Wednesday. They did get away from it. I don't understand. It. Why are they so reluctant? It seems like Snell works in that role. Why are they so reluctant to stick with that? I have no, I have no idea. Because they've, they've gone away from him on more than one occasion this season, I think. And Maybe it he just... talks too much. <laughs> somehow that doesn't uh he doesn't strike me as that kind of a person but who knows 
Um, we're going to stop there for today, though, since we just inundated you guys with the 15, and we'll go a little bit more and deeper with the top 10 in the next podcast this week. Uh, and the top 10 is really fun as we were looking at it before. But that's all we have for you. Those are the 15 of the 25 best lineups in the NBA this season, according to Hardwood Knox's super official formula. Yeah, talk about a great tease for the next episode. You guys got 25 through 11, so you're going to have to come back they really, for the next episode that we do to get the top 10. With three bonus ones. Let's, shout out. Let's pour one out for oh, the yeah. Dallas lineup. There was three bonus lineups. I totally forgot. That Dallas lineup, uh, it's the thing of, of my basketball dreams, three-point guards on the floor at the same time. Um, if you want to talk to Dan or I on Twitter, scream about us or scream at us or about us, um, about our crazy takes. Dan's at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is NBA at NBA underscore math. Um, and like Dan said at the, the outset of the podcast, nbamath.com slash shop. There's tons of cool t-shirt designs there, uh, stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else on the internet. And if you enter the promo code BENO, B-E-N-O, you get 15% off those shirts. And that's that's a heck of a deal. Um, so do that. Rate the show. Uh, review the show if you haven't done that yet. Subscribe. If, if somehow you're listening and not subscribed, you need to rectify that uh, ASAP. And uh, coerce everyone you know into subscribing as well. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Bino Udri. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.